Daniel chapter 9. I'll try to finish up where I was last week, when, the last few weeks, and, and, and saying why I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Um, we we're kind of going through and listing some things. Um, well, there in First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians about uh, Paul's answering their question, and, uh, and I think it's it's pretty clear that he <laughs> that they were upset because they thought they'd missed the rapture and they thought it was going to be before the day of the Lord or that day, as it's often called through scripture, in scriptures. Um, and so he, he taught it. I went through the scriptures, and I think that we could see pretty cohesively that Paul and Peter and others. Kept talking about when we, which are alive, and, are alive and remain, you know, that they thought they would be included uh, in the rapture when the Lord came. They thought He would come during their lifetime, and I believe it was an imminent return. Um, I watched a video this week. I th- thought about bringing it, but the guy is almost too crazy to even watch. But he was <laughs> trying to prove the other way. And no, we're we're supposed to be looking for the Antichrist. No, you need to read Second Thessalonians. And we saw last week. He says, "No, we don't look for that. Um, we don't look for any signs or anything." But he was doing the, the typical thing. They were taking Matthew 24 and they were and uh, messing it all around and, and ascribing things to the rapture that are the second coming and, and vice versa. So that's where we have to know what's what, and you kind of have to read in, in context. Um, and so we've been through several verses for a few weeks. That I think show uh, the pre-trib uh, version, and I want to try to finish that up today. Uh, Daniel chapter nine is kind of where we we started in Daniel way back in the beginning of the summer. Daniel 9 and verse 24 is where it begins the passage on the 70 weeks. And this is, is one of the key passages of Scripture as far as I'm concerned. You know, outside of salvation, this is at least uh, the time frame. Jesus held them accountable in Luke when he came into the city and the, when he said, You should have known this thy day. And he was pointing them back to here. It was important in Matthew 24 that Jesus tells them, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, you know, he points them back to here. And so um, we just saw in Second Thessalonians that uh, uh, Paul, you know, three weeks with the Thessalonians, he taught them from Daniel. He's like, as I taught you, as you already know, you know, and he goes back, you know, the Antichrist must come first, you know, when the apostasy, and we spent some time talking about the apostasy, and he's talk, talking about that, and that's here in um, Daniel 9. Well, and the apostasy is uh, in verse 26, you know, where it says he, uh, nah, I guess it's in verse 27, sorry, when he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of that week he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate. Talking about the abomination of desolation, where he goes in, the Antichrist goes in, and defiles uh, the holy place um, in the new temple, and sets up an image of himself to be called God, and to be worshipped. Um, but here, in verse 24, I want to kind of go back to the beginning, because it kind of clears things up, at least for me. Daniel 9.24, it says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. That's who he says this is for. He's going to give us a prophecy about the future things. matter of fact, it's the timeline until he says, when these things are done, when you get to the end of verse 27, after those last seven years, the last seven years of the covenant, that's when he comes down, sets up the kingdom, and we have a millennial reign of Christ. You know, as, as far as we can interpret the Bible, that's what it puts us. And so there's only seven years left on the time clock. Verse 24 tells us who this is for, who he's addressing it to, who are these, these 70 weeks for, and who's he say it's for? It, who? Who? Say Jews, yeah. You're saying you. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, the Jews, thy people. Who's his people? Who's his nation? It's Israel. He's caught up to them. And his holy city, who's his, what's his holy city? Jerusalem, yeah. So it's his people and his city. So these things are going to take place there. Is that to the church? 
Well, it's to the Jews. It's to them. Is it, is it to America? No, no, this is to them. This is to thy people and to thy holy city. So this is for them. See, we're jammed in between verse 26 and verse 27. You've got almost 2,000 years of history. But, you know, the clock, we talked about it. Um, I think I like the way the ladies were telling me that, um, who's the girl, Beth Moore, you guys are, look, that said it was a phone call. He's talking to Israel, puts that on hold, talks to the church for a while and puts up back, he hangs up with them, he's back on the phone with them. You know, I use the chess clock. You know, the chess clock, he's working with Israel, he hits the stopper, it comes to my, our time for the church. He gets done, he hits it back the other way, and we're back on Israel's time. And so it's been paused now for close to uh, 2,000 years and, and so now, because uh, it's not for us. And so one day we'll be taken out. Uh, there'll be this covenant sign. The treaty, you know, that, that starts. The clock starts going again. The seven years go. And they're like, I don't know, are we in the middle or not? And then you see the abomination of desolation. Now you know there's your identifier. Uh, Matthew's warned us. Paul warned us. Uh, other, I think, Revelation. Uh, it's one of the places that tells us about the abomination of desolation. And says that's when you drop everything, you flee, you run, you hide, because it's just going to get awful now. And so there, there's clear identifiers. And so this clearly says this is not to us, it's to the Jews. And he's not dealing with the Jews right now. He's dealing with the church right now. They rejected the Messiah. Matthew, we've been teaching through Matthew on Sunday morning. He presented them the church, or he presented them the kingdom. They rejected it. He starts preparing the disciples for you know, my church. Matthew 18, we've been studying. Here's how you're going to do discipline in the church. Here's how, how, you, how these things ought to operate. And so he's been preparing him for that, that, that it's going to be a different economy. And so I think this, verse 24, shows us it's not for us. It's for the Jews, not for the church. Um, it would be nice if I could confirm it somewhere else. Hey, I can. Let's go to Jeremiah. <laughs> Never ask a question you can't answer. Uh, Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30 and then verse 7. It says, Alas... For that day, uh, what's that day? The day of the Lord, you know, the, the, the kind of the end, you know, the, the tribulation. It's kind of all that, that day, there's a specific day, and there also all that end times is all kind of wrapped up and considered in that phrase, that day or the end times or, you know, when the Lord's wrath is poured out, you know, the Armageddon type thing that all towards the end. Verse 7, last, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Wh- whose time is it to be troubled for? Jacob. Who's Jacob a representative of? Israel, the Jews. And so again, it's not for us. It's not for, oh, it's the time of the church or my bride. or uh, it's, No, it's Jacob's trouble. This is for them. And he gives us the same identifier that um, well, Jesus even tells us, you know, that unless those days were shortened, no man would survive it. He says, this, you know, that day is great. None is, there's none like it. This isn't something that you can say, well, maybe it happened in 70 AD. This is there's none like it. This is something that comes upon the whole world. This is a worldwide um, thing. We haven't had anything like it yet. We've had world wars, uh, but, but not all over. Not truly world wars as it will be on this day. So in that time, it will be Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And so we even know that that's the whole point, isn't it? He's trying to win back the Jews. He's regathering them as a nation. See, we see uh, shadows of this already being cast. You figure when most of the time about... Um, and all the theories about, well, there'll be no millennium, there'll be no rapture, or the church is winning, um, uh, we're just going to bring in the kingdom, is because they could see, they'd look at it and say, how could it happen? 
The Jew is dispersed. You know, in 70 AD, they destroyed the temple. There's nothing for them to gather around. Uh, they've been occupied and, and, and hated and persecuted. They've been dis- dispersed all around the world. You know, they, they could never come back. They'll never have a nation. You know, the is or the you know the, the England owned it for a while. A while, and you know that they somebody else owns it. It's not even their country. There's no way they, they were just called the wandering. There's no. It's impossible for them to be back in the land, but not in our time. <laughs> my whole life. Well, not my whole life. Yeah, my whole life. Yes, yeah, so you know, they hadn't had Jerusalem until uh, 67. So that's been within two years. And so they, they've been back since the, after World War II. He, who would think that the Holocaust would turn around to be a good thing, to bring the Jews back into their land, land that, it would, that it would start to draw the nation back, and that the sympathy would turn, that the that get the Balfour Declaration where they would sign, and um, uh, England would, would turn over their land. And, and matter of fact, Ezekiel talks about, who's ever heard of it? Who's ever heard of a nation being born in a day? Nobody, but when God's in charge, that is. And there it is. He puts them in there. They're in there. Um, he talks about with them dry bones. You know, they had nothing. It looked like they had no life, and then he's going to breathe life into it. Um, he puts them in there, and he brings it. And then they get back. Um, that's, what they call it? it was the Three-Day War in 67? Seven-Day War. I knew it was somebody else. I lost the week. Seven-Day War. Uh, too many numbers in my head. Yeah, Seven-Day War. Uh, and, and to read accounts of that, you know, you have, um, I forget who was you know, the, the Palestinians was going to launch an attack against them. And uh, you have guys with Molotov cocktails flying in a little Piper Cub airplane, throwing it down and turning away armored fleets and stuff. It was just crazy stuff again that God is with them, and they're able to, to battle back and to fight back and to take back the, the city, and they get the city back. And they still don't have all that's theirs, and they never will until their king is down and ruling it. But this is not for them. But the whole point is it's bringing them back, bringing them back as a nation, uh, their, their language was dead. Their language is being spoken again. There's people now that speak the Hebrew language. That is, that's all they speak, not just the Yiddish and the other things that they have. They're speaking back into the tongue. They're bringing back into the priesthood. They're being trained in the priesthood. They're starting to, uh, there's a temple institute where their desire is to build the temple, where they've been studying and, and training these young boys to be the priest, to be able to, to go in and do uh, the sacrifices, they say that there's a temple that's built off-site that could come in and be put in in an instant. Some others say, no, they have to build it. Others say, well, I have a tent. I don't, I don't know how it is. I know they have all the instruments. Like say if you just Google the Temple Institute, they have all the instruments. They have all the implements. Um, every now and then you'll hear big things in the news about the red calf or the red heifer. You know, they've got to find this red heifer that's uh, considered, I guess, perfect in that sense. Because they have to kill it, burn it, take the ashes, and that's what purifies all the instruments in the tabernacle to be worthy of use. And so that's why they're always looking for it. And so you see them, they're, they're out there looking for it and trying to get it. And every now and then in the news that will pop up. And most people say, I don't understand because they don't understand. <laughs> but that, that's what they got to have it, to, to get the ashes, to mix into the water, to purify, to make it sacrificial, to make it where they could use it again. Now, is it going to be efficacious? No. You know, they don't need the temple. That's the whole point. They've missed it. They're missing it again. Uh, but, but it's drawing them back as a nation. It's pulling them back to where they were when they left off, pretty much, you know, when Jesus was down here. They're kind of putting it back in that whole scenario. Uh, then the false Messiah comes. They embrace him. He shows himself for who it is. He commits the abomination of desolation. Their eyes are awakened. They look up. Uh, they, they go and flee, and they start to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. There's 144,000 witnesses that have been out preaching since the beginning of the tribulation for three and a half years of peace. And they've been out witnessing for him, witnessing to the Jews. And so there's beginning to be a remnant pulled back. Uh, Zechariah 12 is at the end, right when um, they see Christ returning. Through this whole time, you have stiff-necked Jews that will die, the stiff-necked Jews that fight. You have others that have their hearts broken, that they repent and trust Christ during this tribulation. But the whole point is God showing himself again. When we get through Revelation, and eventually here we'll, we'll go through the book of Revelation, 
you'll see that a lot of the plagues and a lot of the things that, that happen remind them of the things that happened in Egypt. This is God, how he always introduces himself, you know. Remember, I'm the one that got, that got you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you across the wilderness. And so we have a lot of these same things, water turning into blood, you know, and, and these other things going on. It's to get their hard hearts to crack, you know, to, to get their eyes to quit being blinded so they can see. And he's trying to draw his people back. He's not done with them, but they're going to, they, they pay. Uh, Zechariah 12, uh, verse 2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about. When they shall be in the siege, both against Judea and against Jerusalem. So they're going to be back in the land in the last days. He said, I'm going to make it to where there are a couple of trembling and to all the people. Now, that's where it is today. Who could believe that Israel would make it on the cover of our papers? Who would believe that they would be on our local news, that it would be on our national news, that what goes on in that little country? There's way bigger countries out there uh, that, that we never hear anything about and probably don't even know their names and everything else. We probably couldn't find them on a map, but we know where Israel is. Because God said, it's my city, it's my people. And so Satan says, I want it. I'll take it. I'll make it mine. I'll fight you for it. I'll defile it. I'll do whatever I can. You know, we go, we go to war with Saddam Hussein. And where does he do? He launches missiles not at us. He launches them at Israel. It's like, hey. And he's, it's like, that doesn't even make sense. He just hates them. And they're a cup of trembling. Now everybody would be like, ah. I hear the guys at work. I don't want the big deals about Israel. Why don't we just nuke them? Get rid of them. And let's go on all our life, you know. Anybody heard anything something similar to that? You know, it's like they just hate them. Just, why? Why do we care about them? They're just nuts. Yeah, you know, I hear him say that. Verse three says, "And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. The whole city would be the point where, like, why are we all crazy about this city? See, because God claimed it, Satan wants it. Uh, do you really think a winged horse flew off a rock on the Temple Mount?" I don't. I've never seen a winged horse. I've never seen bones of a winged horse. I think it's a fairy tale. That's what the Muslims want to say. Oh, that's where Muhammad left on his winged horse to fly up into. We've got to make that a holy site. That's because they're trying to take over it. Uh, we'll see in Revelation that it talks about that they'll make it a land for all the people. I think that's probably one of the uh, things that the Antichrist comes down with. He says, hey, we'll just make this where everybody can get along. Uh, there's a document out there now. I think it's called the Manhattan Document. It's very ecumenical, trying to get all these... All the religions to be okay. If we can just be one religion, there'd be nothing to fight over. And so they're, they're trying to get it all that way. If we can just make Jerusalem just the city of the world that everybody can come. And you put your idol here, and you put your temple there, and we put the tabernacle over there. I think that's why when they build it, you know, he tells them to measure it, but don't measure the outer court, because that's the court of the Gentiles, and uh, that they'll have it in there. And so that they're going to they're gonna sign something, uh, because the temple gets rebuilt, and then the Antichrist will then defile it. And so he says, I'm going to make it a, a cup of trembling. It's going to be burdensome to him. You know, because, he, and it is, and we, and we see these things. We see these shadows being cast forward. Are we going to be here for that event? No. But we can see it. We can see our redemption drawing nigh. And that's why Hebrews tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You know, we're supposed, we can see the signs. Paul can see the signs. John says, I can see the signs. There are many antichrists that are here. That's why we're to keep at it. We're to keep at it. Is God done with the Jew? No. Turn to Romans 11. There's a big branch of Christianity, and it's probably more popular than, than most, that says that he's done with them. And the Jews murdered the Messiah. God's done with him. He's washed his hand. He says, I've divorced you, and I've married another. I've made the, the, the church my bride now. Uh, so all the promises come to, uh, come to us, uh, and, and none of them go to Israel. Yeah, go ahead. Augustine, yeah. All the way back to the first Holy Roman Empire. Huh? You thought that they were it. Huh? 
So he, that's why there's a lot of anti-Semitism. It's because they killed the Messiah. You know, they, they, he's the one who, they're the ones that killed him. That's why they hate the Jews. How dare you? And that's where they get all, that's why most Jews don't embrace Christianity because they usually think we hate them. You know, because that's how they're, they're, they portray it all. It's like, no, we're, a God-fearing, Bible-believing, born-again Christians probably Israel's best friend. Should be. And we pray for Israel. We pray for Betty Haig, can I say her name? Now, there's somebody who, who's for Israel. Is she not pro-Israel? Because she loves them because she loves our Lord. And so same as we should be. That's why as a nation, we've always stood in favor for them. Uh, not so much this last year. Well, we've already made some agreements and, and done some things that, that, that we pulled out and, and made them more uh, things we've never said to an ally. And so it's, it's dangerous. And as Betty often quotes, you know, I will bless those who bless thee. I will curse those who curse thee. And we're putting ourselves on the curse side. And I don't want to be there. This little nation, uh, they say it's no... So that we're standing at Jerusalem, you could see either either border. Uh, it's smaller than the state of Rhode Island, I believe they said. That's got the second largest military in the world, second to ours. And plus, I'd say they probably outfight us because they are zealous and God is with them. They are a bunch of Davids, you know. Are they right? Are they messianic? No. But still, they're his, and he's put this desire in them for the land, a land for them, and that it blooms under them, and that they... Uh, he, he's not done with them. He's drawing them back. They don't know why yet, and it's not for religious reasons or anything else, but he's still drawing them. Verse 11, uh, verse 1 says of Romans, it says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? He asked the right question for us. Is he done with them? And that, is that it? But he answers it. God forbid. <laughs> no, he's not. He says, for I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people who he foreknew, Watch ye not that the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed to the knee of the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Uh, today it's more there's probably more Gentile believers than there are Jewish believers, but there are Jewish believers. I've met some, and chances are you have too. I mean, I even always know who they are. I went to church with a guy. Oh, I can't remember his name now. He's from Atterbury. While he was stationed there, he came come over, and, and then one day he said something about being a Messianic Jew. I'm like, you're Jewish? And I'm like, oh, all of a sudden, <laughs> I wanted to know more about him. Like, you know what tribe you're in? I said, because I always worried about that. Do you know? How, do, they, do they know what tribe you are? He's like, yeah, we're the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, so they, they, they knew, and they've been kept down. And so I've, I've met Messianic Jews downtown passing out tracks. And so they're, they're there. It's just not... Now the scales are, bound, are lopsided. In the Old Testament, Gentiles were saved. Not as many as there were Jews. You know, but now, and the same thing in the tribulation, primarily the Jews will be saved, and not so many Gentiles. You know, we've grown our hearts hard. And so, uh, but he always, he'll, he's ready to save to the uttermost anybody. Verse 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, the work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. And it says they're blinded, and then in verse 11, I'll jump down. Uh, now we'll go ahead and read verse 8. According as it was written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should see, uh, not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table um, be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. 
Even our salvation is still with the Jews in mind. He's wanting to win them. He's wanting them to return. He's wanting them to bring them. He's going to show himself faithful. Uh, they they turned their back, but he's going to show himself. He's going to show himself faithful to them. He's going to answer. Uh, he's going to fulfill every promise he's ever made to them. And so, and I praise God for it. He says that right now they don't see. Uh, that's why Jesus started you know, in Matthew. He's teaching them openly, teaching them plainly. Then he switches to parables, not so that they could see better, so that they, he goes. They're blind. I'm going to hide it from them now. And so he speaks the parables to those who understand. They get it. To those who don't understand, they can't get it. And I'll even make it harder for them. He's made it hard for them because they they have uh, sinned against him. Let's see. Uh, uh, he still owes them some promises. Let's go back to Genesis 12. Wrap this up quick, and we'll go a different direction next week. But, uh, Genesis 12, way, way back. Genesis 12, he's called out Abraham, or Abram at this point. He'll, he'll be Abraham later. In Genesis 12 and verse 7, he says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And you remember, he took him, he showed him the land, he says, I've given it unto you. How many kids did Abram have at this time? None. <laughs> he says, I'm going to give it to you. And they're, they're going to be like, this This is taking faith. He's already an old man. He says, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be to your seed. I'm going to give it to him. It's going to go. And God promised him that. Do you think God's going to break a promise to Abram? Or to Abraham, ultimately? No, he's not. He says, I'm going to give it to you. And we're going to say, well, he did give it to him. That's what most of them say. He gave it to him, but they lost it. Uh, no, he's going to give it to him. God will keep it. God's the keeper of the promise. It doesn't depend on us. But we'll always fail. Uh, look at chapter 13. Genesis verse 15. He says, For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it. And to thy seed, for how long? Forever. You know, not just for a little while. No, it's forever. In verse 16, And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, so that thy seed be numbered. And so it's going to be <laughs> to everybody for a long time. And it's going to keep on going from generation to generation to generation. And he had one. And that one had more. And that one had more. And I was thinking about that today. It's like, Getting ready for it, I'm like, man, I'm Noah's descendant. You ever just stop and think about it every once in a while? It's like, man, <laughs> I wonder if it was Uncle Shem, Amber <laughs> J.P. I don't know, but I go up, man, we're descendants of Adam and Eve. You know, let's go. God makes something that can produce and goes on down. It's like, and then I passed on the generation and my boys, you know, dad did to me and them, and it's going to be future yet. It's like, man, this is a chain of grace, and we're all still linked into it. And the, man, and he says here it's going to be into them, and now we're adopted, we're grafted into the vine. Look at uh, verse 17, or chapter 17, sorry. Chapter 17 and verse 7. He says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, for an everlasting covenant, not just a short time, an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land therein that are stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And we have the borders. We understand what they have all marked off. And Israel has never occupied everything that he's ever given them all at one time. He, he has. They will. They will. God will keep his promise. He will give it to them, and they will occupy it. And they will have a king that will rule over the whole world. And that will be their Jesus Christ. Look at Deuteronomy. So see, these, these, God's word is that he keeps it, and he will give it to him. It's not like, unless you sin and make me mad, and then I'll turn my back. I'm with Paul, God forbid. Then what could he do with me when he decides, you know, I'm tired with them now. I just, 
forsake all that, and I don't want Jesus to die for them anymore. No, I'm glad that God never changes. Deuteronomy 30. Did I say 17? Because that's where I turned. Deuteronomy 30. Thirty and verse one says, "And it shall come to pass when all these things were come upon thee, the blessing and the curse I have set before thee, that thou shalt call them uh, to mind among the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath uh, driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God. I shall obey His voice according to all that I commanded thee this day, and thou thy children, and all thine heart, and with all thy soul. Then that the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations." Whether the Lord God has scattered thee, uh, we're seeing remnants of that now, you know, since 1948, 1967. Currently today, you know, what are they mad about? They're mad because the Jews keep taking up more land in Palestine, putting up fences, and the, and the Palestinians want to fight against it and everything else. Israel is surrounded by Palestinian nations, and they're always like, we don't have a home. How about Iran, Iraq, <laughs> anything, Egypt, you can go. They're all Palestinian nations. Palestinians were nomadic people. They never had a land. God had set this part, land apart to them, and he says, I will, I will bring you back together. So here we have it in verse 3. I started gathering you back as a nation. I'll bring you back. Verse 4, if at any time they have driven thee out of the uttermost parts of the heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee. He says, I don't care how far you've been scattered, I will bring you back. And from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, in the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord, and with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. See, that's what Abraham wasn't saved because he kept some outward sign of the circumcision of the flesh. Hebrews tells us it was the circumcision of the heart, you know, that he was saved, he repented and trusted Christ. <clears throat> Same thing for us, verse 7. <clears throat> and the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies, and upon all them that hate thee, which persecuteth thee. We pray for Israel. We, we should love Israel like the Lord loves Israel. We should want to see them saved as much as we want to see anybody else saved. Blessings and cursing. Verse 8, And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commands which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand and the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land for good. And the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. And see, they're back in the land, the land's already springing forth, and they're not even had a spiritual renewal. There's still most of them over there that don't know anything about, you know, they might have their tradition. I listened to them the other day, um, witnessing to a Jewish person on the street, and uh, it was Ray Comfort. And he said, uh, so he, I, I like when he does this, when he witnesses to his Jew, and they're like, I don't know anything about Jesus, I don't know anything about that. What? He goes, well, why do you celebrate at Passover? Why do you do at Passover? What a picture, you know, for someone, we, we all know Passover, Tim and the youth group, you guys just went through that, you know, I've seen the, the doorpost out there with the blood on it, you know, and it forms the cross, and, you know, I see the blood, I will pass over you, and here's what the Jew always says, oh, you do at Passover? Oh, we eat, we have a big party. No, what's it about? What's it celebrate? Uh, it's family, tradition. Uh, Jews, we always do it. They don't even know the story that it goes with it. And they'll be, what well, about the lamb, and the blood that applied to the doorpost, and the, yeah, I remember hearing something about that. Jesus is the Lamb. Praise God, I heard this testimony. He was talking to this lady and he explained it all to her. And he talked about Jesus coming down, being the sacrificed Lamb, had blood apply the blood to the doorpost of your heart. And, and he's like, and usually they're real bitter because you usually can't find a Jew who's ever sinned. They usually, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. I don't know this. This lady was the same way. She, she'd give him a little bit. And, and then she finally was like, I'd never heard it make sense before. That makes perfect sense. 
Praise God. He's like, there's one. God's still drawing the Jew. And so I got to hear in the streets of New York and they're talking to somebody. And so he does. But he got to bring him to, bring him to mind. And, and he still, he wants to bless them. Verse 10 says, If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and to his statutes which are written in the book of the law, and if thou turn away, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul, uh, he wants them to return. He wants them to believe. He wants to provoke them to jealousy to say, see, I've, I've got these people who are not a people, and I've made them a people, and I've adopted them. See, we're called the bride of Christ. What was Israel called? The wife of God. You know, so it's, it's just types and shadows, but, it, but he's saying, see, I want this. I want you to return. The whole book of um, well, is it Malachi, I don't know. Uh, I want redeeming love about Hosea, sorry, there we go. That's what I'm looking for. That's, that's, you know, has the Hosea marry the prostitute to show here. This is what you're behaving like. I want to restore you. I want to make you mine. That's all the big picture. If you haven't read Redeeming Love, I'd even recommend it to you guys. It's very good. <laughs> so I think I've got an audio book too, but it, it, it's, it's very good. And it's a big picture. It's a, what? I got to fix the tape. Sorry, you can hear part of it. <laughs> but you know, he's he's wanting to re, he's wanting to return them. He's wanting to restore them. Um, Let's turn to Psalm 89 real fast. I was told I got to get done because many of us want to go down and support the missionaries here. Psalm 89 and verse 27. It says, Also, I'll make my firstborn higher than the king of the king, uh, kings of the earth. Uh, my mercy will I keep for him forever, uh, forevermore. And my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever. His throne... Uh, as the days of heaven, if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions of, uh, with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break. Is God done with the Jew? God forbid. Right here, I will not break it, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed, David's seed, Capital his. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as a son before me. See, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David, and he will rule it forever. He will rule through the millennial kingdom. It will be established forever as the moon, as faithful witness in heaven. So uh, he, he's going to come. He promises David. He says, I'll bring him. He will rule, and he will reign, and he'll be there, and he'll have the, you know, and I have the millennial kingdom. millennial kingdom go into the new heavens and the new earth, and he'll rule and reign forever. So he'll be there. Uh, look at one more thing in Revelation 19. So he's not done with the Jew. The promises are to the Jew. He's got a lot of promises about the land that he has to fulfill with the Jews. Um, he will one day, and it's Revelation 20. But Revelation 19, in verse 11, is the second coming of the Lord. And it says, and I saw... Revelation 19, 11, I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he sat upon him, is called Faithful and True, and is in the righteousness, uh, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and his head as were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon the white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nation, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's him coming to take the throne. And he tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the second coming. Did you notice the rapture in there? 
No, because rapture's not there. We were taken out seven years before. This is him coming down. We're with him already. We're in verse 14. We're the armies of heaven that are coming down. Do we fight? No, he does all the fighting. He did all the work in our salvation. He does all the work in the fighting. Uh, there are things that we will study about in the millennium, what we'll do. Uh, there's some jobs and the hints. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us we'll judge angels. I think during that time we'll capture them. Uh, there's some other things we do that are kind of kind of strange. Um, but, but there's things that uh, we'll, we'll do. I think it's when we'll rule and reign with him that we, we don't deserve it, but it's what he's promised us. That's what he's going to come. And one other thing that I think I'll throw it in here at the end, and we'll go and we'll start at a different point on something else in timesy. I haven't quite decided yet. Probably go back and we'll study the rapture a little bit more uh, per se. We've just been talking about why I believe it's pre-trib. Um, but when you get to the end, you have you have uh, rapture happens, so all the saints are gone on earth. So you have a little time where there are no saints, but then he calls 144,000. They begin to witness throughout the tribulation. People get saved. A lot of people die. A lot of Christians die. A lot of lost people die. Uh, all Zechariah talks about all Israel looks, and they believe on him, and they, they pierced, and they, and they believe. So we have all saved Israel enters into the millennium. Uh, Matthew 25 talks about the sheep-goat judgment. That's at this time. When Jesus comes down, he divides the sheep from the goats. The sheep are the Christians. He, he puts them over here. The goats he sends off to, to utter torment. He sends them off to hell. And so you have all saved people entering into it. You have the saved Jew, and you have the saved uh, Gentile that have come through the tribulation, entering into a millennial kingdom. Uh, then we have him coming, we have us coming back down with him here in Revelation 19, and he establishes the kingdom. So now you have the resurrected, um, or we have the will be transformed at that point in time from 1 Thessalonians 4. You know, the dead in Christ rise first, and they and they get their a body that goes on forever. Then we which are alive and remained are changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And so we're down here in our, in our body that can sin no more, that will not die, will not be sick anymore. It's, it's our resurrection body. It's going to live forever. And Jesus tells us that we will not be married in heaven. And so we don't have that. We, we, we don't have that uh, for this time. But throughout the millennium, you have these lost people, or you have these saved people that are here, saved Gentiles, saved Jews. Uh, oh, also, they've been Daniel 12, we believe that they'll resurrect the Old Testament saints then, too, to live in there. Daniel, Daniel 12, uh, we'll look at it later. Um, and so now you have these all saved people starting the millennium now. What happens when you get to the end of the millennium? There's a big battle that happens. What's the, <laughs> the battle of Gog and Magog. And it says, all these lost people, where did they all come from? Well, all the saved people that were entered into the kingdom, kingdom got married, had kids. Had babies, you know. Matter of fact, it says that they'll live to be as old as trees. They'll live to be a thousand years old. It says they'll mourn one who dies at a hundred like they are mourned the loss of an infant. I mean, they're going to live back to long ages like it was in Genesis. You know, Genesis lost, Genesis restored. So who's making all those babies? Well, it's not us. It's all those who come through there. And if the rapture happened at the very end, everybody would be in their transformed body. And there would be nobody to procreate to make babies. And so that's another argument from outside all that to show that you can't have the rapture at the end because then there's nobody left to procreate throughout the millennial kingdom. And we know that there's going to be, as the, what does it say, like the sands of the sea that come up to rise against him to do battle of Gog and Magog. And there's also Zechariah talks about those who won't come up and do the feast, those in Egypt and others. And he says, I'll send a plague upon them. And so there's still rebellion during the millennial reign. There's those that are so selfish, even though they can look and see the king, they could go there, he can even look and see the pits of hell. And they can look down and see Satan. They can say, is this the man? They can look and see him bound. Maybe that's more us. Scratch that. I'm not, I might get my timing off on that. But there's, there's a point in time where we can look and see him and say, is this the man who caused the nations to tremble? Uh, <clears throat> maybe it's the Antichrist we can see. But, but uh, uh, we can look and see all that. And so there's got to be somebody to populate the kingdom. And so the saved who come through the tribulation, that makes sense. 
That fits. And it goes, it goes right with what everything else we've studied. And so everybody else has a little trouble with that. Unless you're an amillennialist and you think, no, this happened, this is all allegorical and doesn't really matter. He's just going to come back one day because everything's perfect right now. Not all of them. A bunch of them will. <laughs> but, you know, there will be a remnant because that's the sheep and the goat that he judges at the end. You know, he separates them. So, so all saved enter into it, but it doesn't take long, you know. So it's, and, again, that would then also foil uh, the old thing that, well, I was born a Christian. It eh, doesn't happen when you have an all-saved population on the world. Well, they're not all born Christians. So they still, and I had some scriptures down for that, there's still those that, that will reject because uh, that's the heart of man. Yes, I know, it's a perfect environment. That's why I think part of it, I think it's um, part of the reason, is to show God's goodness again and, that's, and man's sinfulness. That you'll have a thousand years where you have perfect government, because Jesus is ruling and reigning. You have uh, perfect weather. Uh, you have to have any, there'll be no poverty. There'll be no poor people. There'll be no people starving. There'll be the perfect environment, and still people reject and turn on him. So that way, anybody during our time says, well, I'd have believed if I'd had money. I'd have believed if I wouldn't have been hungry. I wouldn't have stolen if I wouldn't have had to fight for food. I'll say, liar, you're just a sinner. You do it because this shows in perfect environment the heart of man is that we reject the king. And so he's just doing it as another big picture to show that, you know, in the age of innocence, you know, in, in the garden, man had everything. He had all the food. He had everything. And yet he sinned. And so we show it again at the end. He gives that last chance. See, you sin. Even at the pinnacle of civilization with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning where we can look on him, where there's no sickness, and when there's righteous, righteous judgment, still people will sin and they refuse and, and, and they'll hide it and they'll be sneaky and they'll be satanic worshipers. And even though he's locked away, we can't even blame it on the devil. Well, the devil made me do it. He was locked in a pit. You know, can't blame it on the demons. We judged all of them and put them away. It's man and man's evilness all by himself. So we don't need the world, the flesh, and the devil. We just need the flesh. And so, and this is right now we got the triple threat, you know. And so, but uh, that's why we need to be in our word and, and be ready. So, so I think it's pretty obvious from scripture that we're out of here seven years before, at least. You know? And so, praise God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Huh?